Amen. Well, welcome. My name is Darren, and I serve uh, as pastor here. And I want to invite you to turn in your worship guide for p- to page three for the reading of Scripture. Um, also, do want to just echo Laura's uh, encouragement to you to consider taking one of our cards and inviting a friend to Christmas Eve. You know, uh, statistically, in the U.S., if one of your friends is going to attend a church service, uh, the number one chance you have all year is Christmas Eve. And uh, we do it here. Uh, it's short. It's beautiful. A lot of singing. Uh, a very short sermonette. Um, some wonderful cookies afterwards. So please consider doing that. The statistic is if they, you invite four people, you're almost statistically guaranteed to have one of them respond. So we appreciate you joining us uh, in that. What I'm going to do now is read from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is on page three, uh, ver- chapter two, verses one through twelve. Would you listen? Now with open ears, as I read from the gospel of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we come together and we sit under these words, uh, and Lord, I recognize that um, uh, extraordinarily so today, perhaps, these are familiar words uh, to most of us, whether we come here today uh, with faith in you or whether we consider faith in you something of the past, uh, something from childhood. Lord, I recognize that that as we have sat under these words, that we have sat under the hymns and songs that have been sung as we listened to the kids uh, repeat the teaching of our Lord. I recognize that we come here from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come in here uh, filled with Christmas cheer, uh, with excitement, with joy, with anticipation. Others of us come in here and we are filled with precisely the opposite. Uh, Some of us come in here and for us, uh, the holidays uh, are very painful uh, due to loss. Uh, Some of us come in here with an ever deepening depression brought on by the winter. And Lord, some of us come in here with uh, just simple suffering in our bodies, our lives, our families. Um, 
our experience. And Lord, I recognize further that indeed some of us come in here with much faith in you, believing in you, trusting in you, hoping in you, looking for you uh, in the time that's to follow. And others of us come in here, um, some of us not sure what we believe, others of us quite convinced that uh, the words that have been read are not true, they're not historical, uh, and they don't mean much. But Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, in a season of cheerfulness or a season of despair, whether we're here with faith in you uh, or here not believing in you, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all have come ultimately the same. We've all come with uh, a profound need. Lord, we've come uh, with uh, a problem to be addressed in our souls. And I pray that you would give us grace to see and open our eyes and show us how you have in our addressing this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I know that the kids have been dismissed, but we often have kids here, so I want to ask uh, a question of the kids. Kids, uh, is there anyone here who would like to share with the rest of us your favorite part of Christmas? Okay, young man in the blue shirt with the eyes and tongue sticking out at me. Getting presents. All right. Thank you so much. I was expecting to have to uh, go through several kids before we got to that one. Uh, Is there an amen Amen. to that? (laughs) Amen? Well, uh, the passage that I just read has been one that has interested me for quite some time, for several years now, Uh, and it is the passage in the Bible from which this tradition developed um, somewhere, I believe, around the third century. So around the third century, the church decided to Uh, celebrate Christmas and to involve a tradition of gift giving, and that tradition is derived, in part at least, from the passage that I've just read. This particular passage is also of interest to me because it only appears in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, It does not appear in the other Gospels, but yet I find it to be very perplexing, very interesting. It raises a lot of questions, Uh, but as I have considered it in preparation uh, for our time together this morning, Uh, I have come to the conclusion that this passage included by the gospel writer Matthew, when properly understood, is able to direct your life as a Christian in a powerful way. And so what I want to do is walk through this passage and then draw some application together with you. So let's do that now. Uh, The passage begins with events just following the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, And it introduces these men described as wise men in English or magi in Greek. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around this story. So, for example, kids, do you know how many wise men there were? Anyone know? Three. Answer? Wrong. (laughs) Right? Sorry, honey. (laughs) Listen, it's not your fault, though. Right? It's not like you were raised in, you know, the house of a son of a pastor or anything. (laughs) Wait a second. Um, now, this, is, this, is, this was scandalous to me when I started studying this, right? We don't know how many wise men there were. It doesn't say. We inf- so the tradition is three because there were three gifts offered, but I want to let you kids in on a secret. It's possible for one person to give three gifts, just so you know, right? It's possible to give more than one gift. Uh, but We know that there were multiple. It is in the plural. We do not know how many. There's another misunderstanding uh, about the passage. It's commonly taught uh, 
And by the way, I, I am sorry for deconstructing Christmas right now, okay? You can, you can dock my pay next year, all right? But it really was helpful to me. So in addition to there not being three, guess what else we know from the passage, right? It doesn't say that they were kings, right? It does not say they were kings. So who were the magi or the wise men? Well, uh, from the best that scholarship can understand, they were uh, effectively astrologers, right? Not astronomers, but astrologers, right? There is a difference. Uh, And these folks uh, made it their life to study the movement of stars and planets and then to draw conclusions to how events on earth uh, would be changed as a result of these things. Uh, and, it, and it is that they end up here in Jerusalem, and uh, their question is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And now I want to draw your attention to what happens next. Herod hears this, and what does it say after that? He was troubled, what does it say after that? And all Jerusalem with him. Why is Jerusalem troubled by this news, right? Could understand Herod is a non, is ruling over uh, Jerusalem, which had been a province of Rome effectively at that time. It was occupied by a foreign force. Herod's job as governor was to effectively keep the peace and keep people under control. And there's one activity in Israel that would absolutely demolish his job performance. And you know what that activity was? One thing that could happen in Jerusalem that would absolutely kill his job performance rating. It's one thing that everyone was very concerned about, a Messiah, right? So uh, the Maccabean revolt, for example, we read of uh, folks rising up and there were reports of when is the Messiah gonna come and when he comes, we're gonna overturn Rome. And so folks in Jerusalem I believe we're terrified at this news that there was now perhaps talk of a Messiah coming because they were afraid of what Rome would do uh, were that to come about. So here's what happens. So Herod assembles the experts. He goes down over to Westminster Seminary and he gathers the best and the brightest uh, and he inquires of them where it is that the Christ is to be born. And when he's asking them this, what he's saying is, Tell me from the scriptures, where is the Christ to be born? And they do not even have to look it up. They do not have to Google it. They know from memory, uh, they are able to cite chapter and verse and to say, the Christ will be born in Bethlehem, and here's the scripture to back that up. Uh, It proceeds after that that Herod meets with the wise men in secret to find out their story. When did the star come? Right, and by the way, Again, I'm really sorry to, to deconstruct this for you. Um, by the way, how old was the baby Jesus when the wise men reached him? Does anyone know? How little is he? Three? Yeah, he's probably two, we think, right? In that uh, the Herod is searching for kids that are two years old or less, right? So he ascertains the time that the star happened, right? He was not an infant. He was running around, probably causing problems for his parents. Um, but... Yeah, basically what's happening is that these men had seen this phenomenon in the sky 
and they made a journey of an unknown distance. We don't know how far they traveled, but given that they had been tracking the star for at least two years, we can reasonably conclude that this was a significant journey as they are coming from a faraway place into Jerusalem for the express uh, purpose of worshiping a child, right? And so, uh, as they come here, what does Herod do? And this, perhaps, friend, I, friends, I think is one of, the, um, one of the discoveries I made from this passage that I found particularly helpful. Here's what Herod does. Herod, more so even, I think, than the citizens of Israel at that time, he responds to the presence of these wise men with, guess what, with faith. He believes enough to ask his experts, where is the Christ to be born, right? The only, only reason he would do that is because he believes that they are actually on to something, that perhaps this is really happening. He summons them in secret. He attempts to identify the specific location of where they're going, right? And uh, if you know the story, you know that uh, as they leave from another way, he will then institute uh, a profound genocide, genocide of children, two boys, two and under, following their departure. And so here we are, we're with a man who has enough faith to believe that the events that are happening are actually real. And then guess what he does next, right? Instead of responding to the truth of these events, he devotes every resource he has to what he thinks will be his own self-preservation, right? So instead of saying, look, this is real, God is real, I better turn from the evil things that I have done and beg his forgiveness and seek to receive mercy from him because I believe this is real, I believe a king has been born, I believe these people are onto something, I'm terrified of what's going to happen. Instead, he believes a lot of those things and then he takes that information and turns it in to self-preservation, right? And friends, I bring that up because I think that this passage is included in the scriptures uh, to a significant extent because what's being shown here is that on one hand, the coming of Christ means that God is more accessible to you than ever before, right? There's a, there's a word I'm gonna try to remember here. These wise men are probably priests practicing a pagan religion called Zoroastrianism, okay? Anyone heard of that? Zoroastrianism, hey, well done. Um, makes up for the other issue. <laughs> um, so these are, are pagan people, right, who are involved in the study of the stars and the planets, and they are the ones who are ending up on their faces before the Son of God, right? On the other hand, you have Pharaoh who hears this information, and he believes up to a point up to a point to order in genocide, right? But not up to the point of joining these men, offering his worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's a third category of people, and this perhaps might find the most re uh, resonance with you here today, right? Who's the third category of people in this passage? It's the guys having Bible study, right? 
Here you have the priests, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel, and they are really good at studying their Bibles. They don't even have to open their Bibles, right, to answer this question. They know it in and out absolutely cold. And here you have this group of men from some faraway place, and their presence in Jerusalem is making all sorts of controversy. People are talking about it. People are afraid. Herod's afraid. Herod summons them, asks for information about the scriptures. They give the information, and then what do they do next? They go back to their Bible study, right? They go back to their Bible study. And how far, I wonder if anyone knows how far uh, Bethlehem was from Jerusalem, right? It was about uh, nine kilometers, right? And uh, those of you who are not familiar with how long it takes to walk a kilometer, you can walk it in about 10 minutes, right? So walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, about a 90-minute walk, right? So here are these people who have been studying the scriptures their entire lives with the hope of waiting for God's Christ, his Messiah, and they cannot even make a 90-minute walk to go check it out. And indeed, this theme will be reinforced throughout Matthew's gospel, that God is more accessible now than he has ever been in history, right? That he is found even by those who don't even have the scriptures, by the way, right? And think about that for a second. There's, um, this absolutely blew my mind when I realized that there is a common objection to Christianity that pastors hear all the time. Right? People want to know where Cain got his wife, right? Answer that one. Second question they have is, what about people in a faraway places? What about those people? It seems unfair that you would be preaching uh, this gospel that says you must believe in Christ in order to be saved. That means that there's entire scores of people without any chance, any possibility of being included in God's plan, right? A- anyone heard that objection? Am I... Okay, so that's the objection, but then we have this passage, right, this passage. Here you have folks who are involved in pagan worship, These are, and they do not have the scriptures as evidenced by the fact that they have to go ask the Jewish rulers, tell us from your Bible, from your holy scriptures, where is the Christ to be born? They don't know the exact place. The star has led them into Jerusalem, uh, into the capital city, but they don't know where to go from there. They are told, the scriptures are necessary, right? They're told where the Christ is to be born, and then you see them very first, right? First Gentiles in uh, all of the gospels who are falling on their face in worship to Jesus Christ, When the folks who had been in the Bible study, they cannot even be bothered to go check it out, right? What is is the scripture saying? Saying those who would ordinarily be out, those are the ones who are coming in, whereas those who thought that they were in, they are the ones who are missing out on what God is doing. And I do do, uh, draw from this, by the way, that God is able to draw people to faith in Christ in ways that might surprise you, right? This is not universalism. We don't believe that, right? But what we see in the passages, we see people with no access to Scripture, no access to missionaries, right, who God is saying, I will draw you to 
Jerusalem, to the Scriptures, and then to the man, Jesus Christ, in specific. He is able to work outside of our expectations, okay? So maybe that's helpful to you when you receive that objection. So these folks come, uh, they make waves in Jerusalem, uh, and then they go and they worship. Uh, They have this dream of Herod's true intent, and then they leave. So what does this mean for us? Well, the first thing I want to just really enforce to you as much as possible is that this passage is attempting to communicate to you that God wants to be found by you, that God is available to you like never before. He was available even to the point by these, these group of people being so far off in so many ways, coming to worship at his feet. That's the first thing. He wants to be found by you. The second thing is, is that if you think that you're going to find him simply because you're growing up in a church or you go to Bible study or you do these things and you think, oh, it's no problem. I would never miss what he's doing. You know, I'm just fine. You might want to reconsider, right? This passage, it would serve as a warning to Matthew's readers that simply existing in the religious structure of Israel was not a guarantee that you would find the Christ. It was not a guarantee that you would find the Christ. And in fact, over and over and over and over again in Matthew's gospel, we will see that those who had every reason to find the Christ miss him. And those who have every reason not to find the Christ are the ones that often end up in him to the point that Jesus says after the centurion's plea to save his servant, he says, I tell you the truth, many will come from east and west and will dine at the table of Abraham. But the children of the kingdom, they will not be there. Right, over and over in Matthew's gospel, that's the case. And so what are you to do with that, dear friends? What are you to do with that in this time? Well, what I'd like to just humbly suggest to you is that this passage serves as an opportunity and a warning, right? If you're here today and you're like, I- I'm not a Christian, I don't, I don't know what, what all you're doing here, I'm, I'm curious, I'm in crisis in my life, I know that things need to change, I know that I need to find something, I'm beginning to feel like death is approaching and life is meaningless and I'm not really sure what to do and I've got all these problems and I feel overwhelmed and I'm just here seeking something, I don't know what quite it is. This passage says to you, God wants to be found right? If you seek him, you will find him. Over and over again, Jesus makes this statement, knock and the door will be answered to you. Seek and you will find. Or Jeremiah 29, 13, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I can assure you on the promise of Holy Scripture today that if you're in that place, if you're in that place of Christ and you're saying, look, I want to seek. Is there a God? Is he actually at work? Does this mean anything? The answer is yes, you will find him search for him. That's the opportunity. The second, though, is a warning, which is that having been raised in the church, having been surrounded in Christian culture, right, does not guarantee that you will connect with God, that you will relate to him, that you will be part of what he is doing. Right, that, there is a profound warning, I think, in the activity of the scribes and the Pharisees here in this passage who absolutely miss out. Right? Like Herod, they are more interested in maintaining and preserving their position 
than they are in actually finding the Messiah. And by the way, uh, just as an aside, if you want to understand the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you want to understand how in the world could that happen? To a significant extent, I believe, the folks that were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they were acting out of fear of Rome. Right? They were, it was not limited simply to their hatred of the man. There was that. But to a significant extent, they were acting out of fear of Rome, saying, look, if this thing gains more speed, we are going to have Rome crush us like has happened to us in the past. Right? They were acting out of self-preservation instead of out of faith. And so, friends, I just want to talk to you for just a second before we close. For those of you who are Christians, right, you've, you've gone to Bible study perhaps in the past, maybe you're going today, um, you, you know these passages, this story is very familiar to you. I just want to give you this humble pastoral warning that you might be missing out on what God is doing in your life here today. That's the message of this passage, that you might be missing out, that he might be revealing himself to you, he might be seeking to speak to you, and for reasons perhaps, maybe your, maybe your self-preservation is the main focus of your thinking right now, similar to these people, you might miss out on what he's doing. And so for you especially, what Matthew is attempting to do, I think, is to exhort you in this day, in this time, seek the Lord while he may be found, right? And I want to tell you, at, at Christmas time is a good time to kind of reevaluate your life, right? What is your life built on today in this season? Have you allowed the busyness, right, of your kids, of family, of jobs, of responsibilities? Have you allowed those things to make it so that you have no time to be still before God, seeking to listen to Him, seeking to deepen your understanding of Him, right? Have you allowed self-preservation to crowd out the activity of what He's doing? If so, and I've been there, uh, truth be told, this is an exhortation to make a different choice this winter, right? And I want to tell you very specifically, very practically, a couple things to do. Number one, recommit to simply spending at least a few moments in quiet before God every day, right? Every, all of you can do that. You can take five minutes, right? And you can say, I'm gonna take five minutes and I'm simply going to be still and ask God the question, God, what do you have for me today? Help me not to be so distracted that you're never in my thoughts. Would you speak to me? Right? Step one is to simply take five minutes to use that time to be still before God and to simply ask Him to reveal Himself to you, to tell Him what you're anxious about. Right? It's called prayer. It's called communing with God. It doesn't have to be anything special. The second thing I want to um, just exhort you to is to recommit to the life of the church through which God ordinarily changes us, right? So recommit, for example, to our home groups, right? If you've sort of like drifted away from that, which is real easy to do when life gets busy, it's hard to go take your kids to a place where, you know, they're gonna be up late and all that, you know, I know. <laughs> recommit to investing in others 
and developing relationships that will bring you closer to God. Recommit to those things. You know, it's, it's really sad to me and really, um, I think, concerning. There is some research that's gone on recently uh, from the Gallup organization, and their report is that uh, approximately 23 to uh, 25% of Americans, Christians, actually attend church each Sunday. Right, so when you read research of how big the church is and what uh, folks are doing in there, understand that their research is very broad. Right, do you identify as a Christian? Lots, lo- there's a fairly big percentage that identifies as a Christian. Second question, do you church, attend church regularly? Right, it's like half. Right, and, and what's going on here is that I think what's happening is that we are in, to a certain extent, a spiritual depression in this country, right? And that uh, we stand at significant risk, like these men in Jerusalem, of missing out on what God is doing and missing out on the reality that He is close, He is near, He wants to be found, He extends to you unprecedented access to do that. So those are some practical exhortations to you. I do want to end on, though, is something a little bit better, which is that, you see, the Christmas story, though it is, in fact, saying, look, God is near. He wants to be found. He's available to you. It goes a step beyond that, right? It goes a step beyond that and to say, that's all true. But God recognized that simply being available wasn't enough, wasn't enough to be available. And so, this Christmas story describes Jesus Christ and his mission is saying, I come to seek and to save the lost. That the Christmas story is that God looked down and he said, it is not simply enough to be available. It's not simply enough to deal with the barriers. I'm going to come to them, right? And so Christmas time, we use this word Emmanuel, God with us. And indeed, Christ has come and he came to bear your burdens, to bear your sins, to bear all of the shame that you feel so that you could approach God with no barriers, that you could be in his presence with pure joy, that you could turn over all of your anxieties to him, that you could worship him with all that you have, that he would be your God and you would be his people. And he does that in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he's given us this table as a reminder, as a means to communicate these things to us at the deepest level every week. So as I am calling you to recommit to these things this year, and I do mean that, I want to end on even better news, which is that God has never lost his commitment to you. It is always there. It is stronger than you think. And it is deserving of our worship. So let me pray together.